All right, would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. And um, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you, even in this context where we're not able to gather, we thank you for um, the unity of the body. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God, your word given to your people to build her up. Would you, would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you come even now as... Um, yeah, as I walk through this text uh, with and for my brothers and sisters, would you <clears throat> would you equip me and um, help me to build up the body of Christ? Would you make much of Jesus? Um, yeah, make much of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be walking through <clears throat> the next uh, story and in the book of Acts that concerns the trial of Stephen, the arrest and the trial of Stephen. We're not going to get to his, his sermon, which is probably my favorite text in the whole of the Bible. Um, I know it's maybe weird, but I love Stephen's um, sermon. I always, I always have. And so um, anyway, we're, today we're just going to look at uh, how he uh, went about finding himself in, as the old folks say, the Huskow the pin, the pokey, he got arrested. So um, if you're going to put a title on this uh, text or this sermon, you'd call it something along the lines of the dam breaks. Um, the context would be you've got, um, you've got this fledgling church that keeps multiplying and it has all of these different um, uh, things that are coming against it. So you've got... Um, yeah, you've got Peter and John arrested. Then you've got Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, then you've got uh, they're they're arrested. Uh, they're arrested again. The apostles are arrested uh, again. But then you've got an internal strife, right? You've got last week. Uh, you've got the complaint, the grumbling uh, that arose um, by the Hellenists, and so you've got internal conflict. You've got external conflict. You've got all of this drama going on in the church. And still, the body of Christ is multiplying. It's still growing, which is a great word for us that um, the, the body of Christ is, um, you know, I think sometimes we get the idea that if we're not faithful and if we don't stick it out and if we don't do these things, like um, I've, I've heard uh, people from pulpits say, you know, the church is one generation away from extinction, which is just so stupid. It's flaming dumb. The church is not a generation away from extinction. Obedience matters. Um, we need to be obeying the Lord. We need to be walking uh, in His, in the power of His Spirit. We need to be walking with Him. But the reality is we are fighting from, not for victory. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is seated at the right hand where he must remain until God has made all of his enemies a footstool of his feet. Jesus is the Lord and nothing can stop that. Not stuff outside the church, not stuff inside the church. The church is just growing, okay? And so the context, if you look in chapter six, verse seven, this is the context. It's in between the choosing of the seven and uh, in our text for today, you get this description of the church in uh, chapter six, verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests 
became obedient to the faith. So first off, the, the word of God continued to increase. Remember last week, the apostles would not leave off preaching and prayer to wait tables. And so they appointed seven guys. The first one mentioned is Stephen, um, was Stephen. And now we see this description, the word of God continued to increase. And what that meant was the number of disciples multiplied. So the word of God is causing men and women and children to be born again. And so the disciples are multiplying. So that's good news, but there's some bad news here. I don't know if you caught it. Listen to this. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There's actually a bit of bad news in there. It's, it's good news, bad news, but it's, uh, there's something wrong. Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, period. And then he ascended into heaven. Is that how it happened? No. He said, you will be my witnesses both. And then he, he, he gives us a list of things. A list of places, Jerusalem, Judea, which is kind of, you know, think um, think LaGrange and then Fayette County, right? Think a, a city and then an area in that city. So Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria. So it's going to, there's going to be a, a cultural, um, there's going to be a cultural uh, jump. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost reaches of the earth, okay? There's a problem here. The church is multiplying. The word of God is increasing, but it's staying in Jerusalem. That's a problem if we out here in Fayette County, a bunch of goyim, Gentiles, want to hear the gospel and believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ, that God loved us and gave himself to pay for our sin and reconcile us to the Father, um, and that we need trust him alone to be reconciled. We need that message. We need the church to make it all the way to Texas. We need the church to make it all the way to pay. If the church, if the preaching of the gospel does not ever make it to pay, the pay people are toast, okay? So the church needs to explode, but it's staying. It's multiplying, but it's staying in one spot. And that's good news, bad news, okay? The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the question I have is, how is the, how is the church gonna go from Jerusalem to the outermost reaches of the earth? How is it ever gonna go to the rest of Judea? When we read at the last chapter that all of those in Judea were coming to Jerusalem to, to, to hear the gospel and to be a part of the church. How does it expand to, to Judea? How does it sub- expand to Samaria? No Jewish person wants to go to Samaria at this point. How does it expand to the Gentiles? Well, <clears throat> there's a there's a principle here that I want to uh, that I want to show you, and it is the, uh, so, something along the lines of w- when we have a change, when we make a change to meet a particular problem, a lot of times that is God meeting problems that we don't yet see, answering questions that we have not yet asked. We just read there are widows going hungry, and so the apostles say, "Hey, we're not." leaving off the preaching of the word of God to serve tables, give us seven men. So they pick seven men. The first of those seven men, his death, he's gonna be the first Christian martyr and his death is going to, um, to prompt 
major persecution in the church. And now people are going to be driven out of Jerusalem and they're going to spread. And the gospel is not going to just multiply in Jerusalem. It's going to multiply in Samaria. Philip, the, one, of the, one of, I think, the other uh, deacons that was mentioned here, is going to take it to <clears throat> the Samaritans. And then, uh, you know, Peter's going to take it to the Gentiles and then Paul is going to take over from there. <clears throat> but the point is, they haven't even <clears throat> tried to get out of Jerusalem yet. God is going to make them. And he's going to use circumstances that they don't particularly love. So can you think of any circumstances currently, coronavirus Christian, um, that God might be using to bring better things out of um, out of just change that we are not necessarily looking for. We don't necessarily want Stephen to get arrested and stoned, but God uses it for an amazing good. So that's the good news, bad news. Uh, it, it says at the end there, the many of the priests uh, became obedient to the faith as well. So some of the high ups. And the, and the Jewish faith are now seeing that Jesus is the Messiah and they're trusting in him. So it's this amazing, the church is, is expanding. Now, in verse eight, uh, it says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So you've got, um, <clears throat> you've got this, this context for, um, for a conflict here. Stephen, full of grace and power. By the way, grace, when you think of grace um, and you think of power, do you think of those as synonyms or like uh, players on the same team? Because they are. Uh, Jesus was said to be full of grace and truth. Stephen is full of grace and power. So he's preaching the grace, the free grace of God, and he's full of power. So those things go together. Um, he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now that's significant because what we've read thus far is that many signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. Now all of a sudden, Stephen, a, a, a non-apostle, okay, a deacon, he is doing not just miracles, but signs and wonders, okay? So he's doing uh, he's doing supernatural things that indicate to Israel that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's this on fire, really fantastic guy. Now watch verse nine. <clears throat> then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, this is very interesting. I'm not gonna fight anybody over this. These are people listed in these places and they actually come from these places. I think there is, there is something deeper that Luke is pointing us towards. Um, when you, uh, Cyrene, you might know Simon of Cyrene, um, uh, the, the guy who, if I'm not, my, my brain is, is loopy today, but I, I'm pretty sure that's the guy that they called uh, to carry Jesus's cross. He was from Cyrene. Uh, Alexandria, that's Egypt. So you're talking, uh, you're talking North Africa. And then Cilicia and Asia, you've got, this is up in, uh, up in Turkey. So um, Asia, Asia Minor. The point is like, these are Jews from the diaspora, Jews from 
everywhere in the known world and kind of the Roman, uh, the, the, the mega centers of the Roman world, these are Jews from everywhere, okay? So you've got, you've got uh, this, this picture, this symbolic picture of all of Israel, the, the, the scattered people of God um, who, are, um, who are rising up to dispute with Stephen. Now remember who Stephen is. Stephen is not an apostle. He's not an A-teamer. He's a guy that, that was, I mean, good, awesome guy, but he's not an apostle. He's not one of like the chief guys. He's, he's supposed to make sure the Hellenists are not uh, overlooked in, in, the, um, in the daily distribution of food. And so it's like, it, it, it says, um, they rose up to dispute with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Now, this is just comedy, right? Um, if the Dallas Cowboys came and played um, Flatonia JV and Flatonia JV walked all over them, um, that would not be the same as one team just defeating another. It would be a vast embarrassment. Stephen is not the head of the church. He's not like the A-teamer guy. He's kind of like... You know, not that we believe in, you know, we believe in the priesthood of the believers. And so he's beloved of God, but he's not an apostle. He's not John. He's not James. He's not Paul. He's just some guy who knows Jesus. Let me rephrase that. He's just some guy that Jesus knows. And so he goes toe to toe with the Jews from everywhere and they cannot withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he's speaking. There's just no way for them to refute the fact that the entirety of the Old Testament, which when we get to Stephen's speech, he's gonna take us through pretty much the whole of redemptive history, showing how Christ is the Messiah and showing how the people of God throughout history have always had a very hard time recognizing the leaders that God raised up. Always, every single guy, every single leader. So that's the sermon that he's gonna preach. They're unable to dispute with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so there's this great conflict. Now, pop quiz. What do people do when they cannot win by argument? What can you do? Um, you know, you might think if we were going to follow the logic of the thing, if we were going to, if we were going to, with an open Bible, be Bereans and study uh, these things and see and we have no answer for what's being said from God's word, you would think at some point you would just say, you know, um, humility dictates that I believe what the word of God says. And so if I can't refute what I don't want the word of God to say, I ought to just believe it, okay? They're not gonna do that, shocker, right? So what are they gonna do? Well, they're going to do what uh, is one of, our culture, one of the, the favorite ploys of um, you know politics and religion and all of these things, they can't defeat an argumentation and so they're gonna slander. They're gonna come after what's called an ad hominem. They, they, they can't answer the argument and so they're gonna say, man, that guy has boogers in his nose or um, that guy is a liar or they're gonna just make something up. Now, this is amazing. Watch what they make up. Uh, you always, um, have you ever watched Charles in Charge? I remember watching Charles in Charge 
Um, and uh, there was there was a line that was given in there. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when per, when first we practice to deceive. Now here's what's going to happen under the under the ironic comedy of God that these people who are unwilling to submit to the Lord's Christ, they're going to, on the one hand, be staunch in their defense of Moses, of Jerusalem, of the temple, of the law. On the other hand, they are going to dishonor everything I just mentioned. Moses, Jerusalem, the law. They're gonna dishonor all of those things. God, they're gonna dishonor him. Thinking that they're on the right team, they're gonna dishonor everything. And it's just this irony that they're so blind, they cannot see um, that they are dishonoring everything that they're trying to defend. Okay, so watch what they do. So they rose up, disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they secretly instigate men who said, this is not the same thing. This is what goes on every single time the federal government does some sort of investigation into something. Just ask, is it a democratic Per, uh, group doing the investigation or a Republican group doing the investigation. Because if it's a Democratic group doing the investigations, there is no desire to actually know the truth. They just want to know the, the the dirt so that they can get done what they want to get done. Um, same thing with the Republicans when they try and go after somebody. They're not overly concerned with the facts. They just want what they want. That's these guys. They want Stephen out of the picture and they can't refute him. And so they're going to secretly instigate. So they're gonna do something that you can't just do any old where. You can't just do in the open. You have to do it secretly. They're gonna instigate. They're not just gonna go out and find like, does anybody know anything about Stephen? Let's get the facts. No, no, no. They're gonna go out and instigate men, secretly instigate. We want you to say this about, uh, about Stephen. Now watch what they say. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, let me give you a grammar lesson, okay? Um, you have a, a, a verb is an action, right? Um, you have the subject is the, is the person performing the action, and then the object, the direct object, is the person receiving, the, the thing receiving the action. And so when I say, um, when I, say I, I love, I love, um, you don't know if I'm doing a good thing or a bad thing. We, we like love. And so you would say, wait, can you be doing a bad thing? If you say, I love, it doesn't matter what the direct object is, is it? Well, what if I finish the sentence by saying, I love um, murder. I love uh, some sort of abomination. I love pornography. You know, uh, no, you're not doing well, Okay. Um, same thing, I hate. Oh, no, 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 you can't hate. Well, yeah, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So is it right to say I hate um, rape? I hate injustice? Yes, it's right to say those things. And so ver like verbs, depending on what, uh, what the verb is and what the direct object is, that will tell you what's good and what's bad. I bring that up to say blasphemy does not need a direct object. 
If I say, you are blaspheming, what am I saying? You are blaspheming and against whom? The only person who can be blasphemed. You can't blaspheme me because I'm not God. You can't blaspheme anybody but God. So you can just say without a direct object, that person is a blasphemer. And we all know you're, they're, they're speaking of God in an empty way. They're taking the Lord's name in vain or using it in an empty way. They're blaspheming. Okay, these Jewish people who are so staunch and zealous in their defense of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, did you see the blasphemy that they just did? They're, remember, they're, they're secretly instigating accusers against Stephen saying, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. Do you know that that's blasphemy of them? You can't blaspheme Moses. Um, Moses is not God. The only way, I was uh, talking with Roy about this and he said, yeah, I guess the only way that Moses could be blasphemed is if they're worshiping Moses. And I think that's exactly what Luke is revealing to us that they have done what so many of us tend to do is that we take a servant of God and we exalt them so high that they become equal with God. Um, And that's a problem. That's a big problem. You can't blaspheme Moses. You can only blaspheme God. They're saying they are, uh, that, that Stephen, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Um, So they're blaspheming God as they accuse of blasphemy. They're also dishonoring Moses as they accuse Stephen of dishonoring Moses. Do you think Moses would take that laying down? I mean, do you think, yeah, do you think the guy who who took the 10 commandments written on stone by the very finger of God who watched uh, when he came down from the mountain the first time and he had the tablets in his hands and he was seeing Israel blaspheme God. And so he takes these stones that God has made sacred and he shatters them. Do you think Moses would listen to that and go, oh, how interesting. He would say, you, whatever, whatever Moses' insult would be, you bunch of sheep. Don't talk about me that way. Don't exalt me as though I were equal with God. We've been, in Sunday school, we've been studying the book of Exodus. And one of the most frustrating things in the book of Exodus is how they continually say, uh, accuse Moses of doing ill when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And we're wanting to scream at our Bibles. Moses didn't bring you out of Egypt. God did that. God did that. He used Moses, but God did it. Moses would say the same thing. They're trying, to, they're trying to arrest a blasphemer. They're blaspheming God. They're trying to honor Moses. They're dishonoring Moses. And so they stirred up the people in verse 12. It's just ironic and it's very funny, right? They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that uh, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So there's, there's great confusion on their part. They mention... Uh, he never ceases to speak words against this holy place. The holy place is Jerusalem. This holy place, the temple, uh, the temple in Jerusalem and the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So they're wanting to hold out and protect the temple and they're wanting to hold out and protect the law. And what they're doing, and this is again, it's irony, it's just confusion, is what they're trying to do is they're trying to protect the shadow by killing the substance that's casting the shadow. The temple is a shadow. What is the temple about? The temple is about the church. The Holy Spirit of God taking up his residence among the people of God. So you had, you know, one place, the Holy of Holies, right? Where where God dwelled in a way, he's omnipresent, right? God is everywhere at all times, in all places. He is omnipresent, okay? But in a odd way, he was particularly present in the temple in the Old Testament, um, in the Holy of Holies. And now in the church, he is particularly present among the people of God, even when we're scattered. This is one of the reasons it's so fantastic to gather. I hope you're missing gathering together to sing and to pray and to preach and to celebrate communion. Um, because that's when the Holy Spirit is bringing us together and we're participating in the body of Christ together, not just on our, on our own. But so they, they, don't want, they don't want the temple to be undone. Well, the temple was just a shadow of this greater reality of God living with us that we will not need um, in, in the book of Revelation when all things are done, we will not need sun, moon, stars because, because God will be our light. His presence will be light for us. That's the, that's the substance. They want the shadow, okay? They mention uh, not just the temple, they mentioned the law, do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, uh, don't think for a moment I came to abolish the law. What did he come to do? To fulfill it. Like the law is our tutor that is meant to bring us to Christ. Well, now that Christ is here, it's, it's foolish to go back to the shadow of things when the substance has come. This is the, the argument of the author of Hebrews. When he says, look, the the substance has come. Christ has died, paid once for sin. The the blood of goats and calves could not atone for sin. His blood has, and therefore there's no remaining sacrifice for sin. You can't go back to the shadow. The substance has come. Christ is here. Receive him. So here's what's, uh, there's, there's a very important point here that when you exalt the shadow over the substance, you're screwing up and you're screwing up in a, in a major bad way. So this is their accusation against Stephen. They said it false witnesses. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Okay, so you've got, uh, you've got a conflict breaking out about Stephen. You've got a thick set of, of ironic comedy as they are trying to defend um, God and Moses and the law and the temple when really they're blaspheming God. They're dishonoring Moses. They're dishonoring the temple. They're dishonoring the law. They're dishonoring all these things because all of those things point us to the crucified and risen Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, okay? So there's a comedy there. You've got confusion 
they are uh, they are loving the shadows more than the substance. It's like somebody um, leaving off, spending time with their kids so that they can go on Instagram and look at the pictures of their kids. That would be a very terrible thing. So you've got all of these things. The last thing um, that I want you to that I want you to see is you've got um, you've got a conviction. Watch what happens. So they're accusing all all of this stuff against Stephen, um, which is very interesting. Do you remember what Jesus did when he was being accused? Um, false accusations. Uh, Trey pointed out uh, we we didn't meet the elders didn't meet this week, but I sent everybody a text. Hey, would you read? Would you observe? Would you speak in? What what things come to mind? And he said something really cool. He said, "Look, it looks to me like Stephen is a is another uh, type of Christ, like that he is being accused in the same way. He's suffering the same way. They're inciting in, uh, false witnesses the same way." Um, and here, Stephen seems to respond in the same way. You remember Pilate marveled at Christ. I had the power to crucify you or to let you go, and you're not gonna answer me? You're, you're just not gonna speak a word? Um, the high priest, he, he, he kept his mouth shut. They, they, had to, um, they had to try their best to get him to say something. He just sat quiet and let their shenanigans go forth. Stephen does the same thing. He doesn't answer right now. He doesn't answer any of these things. He, um, he watch what happens. 15, so they're all like accusing, 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 and then gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, a couple things to note there. When you, I'll, I'll be straight up honest about how goofy I've read this text all my life until like very, very recently. Um, I think in the ladies' bathroom in Muldoon, we still have some um, some little bediapered um, cherubs, Cupid-style with their bow and their arrow and their harp, and they're sort of like flitting through the clouds, which is so unbelievably wrong-headed. When you read the scriptures and see what happens when men, women, children see angels, what do they need to be told every single time? Don't be afraid. Angels are terrifying. And so I, you know, I always, uh, the, the, every, I always pictured it as everybody's, you know, coming after Stephen. Ah, Stephen, 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 blah blah blah. blah. Like he's the, he's the worst. All this stuff, and then they look over at him, and he's just, ah, just like sweet and delicious. That's not what's going on. What is going on? Well, I think, and then again, I'm not going to fight you for this. Um, I, I read one one commentary uh, a commentator that I greatly um, love and respect. Um, Calvin said it, it was his um, it was his countenance. It was like an angelic, peaceful countenance. That's that's pretty much all. I think there's something bigger going on here. I think that when they look and they saw his face, I think they are seeing in Stephen what the Israelites saw in Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. That there's a good chance that what they're seeing is the Shekinah glory of God. Remember, the glory that was shining on Moses was so apparent that Moses had to veil his face, which Paul takes up 
um, uh, about Israel's uh, interaction with the gospel, that the, that the gospel is veiled to them um, in the same way that Moses wore a veil to them. So I think what they're doing is they're looking at Stephen and God is communicating to them the same way that he communicated to the Israelites back in Moses' day that this is my guy, that he's telling you the truth. He's telling you my truth. He's my representative. And so in all of these accusations, Stephen does not have to defend himself. God is vindicating him by showing his face thusly. Um, we were talking about this and Eli uh, pointed out, he said, he goes, where was Gamaliel? Because Gamaliel just got through telling them, hey, leave these guys alone or you're gonna be, you, you might just be found out to be fighting against God. And here it is. You would think as they look at Stephen and see his face, I don't know, shining like the sun, that they might say, you know, I would like to retract a few of my statements. I would like to take back some of what I have said. I would like to repent, turn around, go in a different direction. That is what I would like to do because I can see clearly now that I've been fighting against God. Do you think they do that? No, they do not. No, they do not. God needs to work not just in their presence so that they can see it. God needs to work in their heart to give them eyes to see Christ, a heart to treasure him so that they will see and rejoice in him. So um, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So the context, God's church is exploding um, and the opposition cannot stand against them, even their, their also-ran guys, okay? Not their A-teamers, but their also-ran guys who are just walking faithfully. Uh, they, they, cannot be, uh, they cannot be thwarted. They can't be resisted. Um, and so uh, God's enemies, um, inspired, I believe, by the devil. This is why John calls, um, calls the Jews of his day the synagogue of Satan, because they're taking, they're, they're pretending to love, the, uh, love God, love Moses, love the law, love the temple. They're pretending to love those things, but they're blaspheming God and they're dishonoring everything else um, that God is vindicating his, uh, his servant and he's defending his church. And so uh, we're gonna watch next week. We're gonna see, um, we're gonna see Stephen um, preach the pain off the walls as he, as he takes us through the whole Old Testament. So, um, yeah, we serve a God who is not thwarted by um, by anything, by external circumstances or by internal circumstances, um, by truth or by lie. He's not thwarted um, by any of these things. Our God works all things after the counsel of his will. And therefore, even in terrifying times such as these, we can trust him. We can trust him. So... I love you, and um, yeah, I can't wait to see you again, uh, Lord willing, next week. Let me pray for you, and um, we'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and um, I thank you that you've given me an opportunity to talk to them yet again. And um, yeah, Lord, we just we love you. We love uh, we love to see your power, your your grace to walk with uh, to walk with Stephen and to protect your people. So we pray that we would be a church that is multiplying. We pray, Lord, as we've made these decisions to uh, to cancel services and to preach online for a bit and um, and then to regather next week, hopefully, um, 
Lord, we pray that uh, we were trying to, to, to meet one question and to, um, and to oversee one change. Would you bring greater change out of this? We trust you to do that. We trust you to do that. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we ask you for your presence and your grace to go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.